Well, good morning. <laughs> Got a little bit of a something, so excuse the, you know, snotty nose, but we'll get through this together. I'm here again. It's me. I don't know. Don't run away or anything. Okay. Um, <clears throat> as I mentioned last week, we are, are now in the middle of a three-week series called Pursue. And Pursue is really a series about focus. It's about um, this, this basic idea that we should focus on the right things and what would happen if we did focus on the right things as a church. And so about three years ago, um, we decided that we should focus our time and energy in on a very specific set of a few things that we decided were our top priorities. And after a couple of days of praying and planning with a group of leaders, we decided that we should focus in on pursuing people by sharing our faith and living our faith out by uh, we should pursue Jesus through discipleship and we should pursue leadership. And so three years later, we're in the final year of a three-year plan and, and focus has proven difficult. Uh, we've stumbled some, but we've pressed on and we've kept evaluating and reiterating our ideas with one hope, becoming the best version of the house of God as it's manifested in Miamisburg, Ohio. And today we're going to talk about what it means to pursue Jesus. Specifically, we're talking about discipleship. Not many other places do you go and you hear the word discipleship very often, but in the church, you hear it kind of a lot. And, and though hopefully any church or any pastor would say that discipleship is a top priority, um, you, get it not, you don't get it specifically defined very often. Um, and most likely, if I were to go around in the room right now and ask 10 people, even here, even three years after we came up with a definition that we use here, if I ask 10 people in the room, uh, we might get 10 different answers. All of them pretty good, but not, none of them the same. I think there's a difficulty when we don't have the same idea of what we're going after when it means we're being becoming disciples of Jesus. And so... Three years ago, we started this plan, and, and we got in a room, and we said, okay, what is discipleship? What is a disciple? And we found Matthew 4.19, which we'll talk more, more about later, but we came up with this definition. A disciple is, is this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. But aside from a memorable definition, we still needed to understand discipleship and what we were being invited into. I've told this story before, but when I first started here five years ago, I was at a birthday party, and um, at the birthday party, I was talking to another pastor, um, and I was just getting started in student ministry, and he was just finishing student ministry, and he was transitioned to a different role um, in his church, and he was talking about discipleship in small groups, and he said, he asked me the question, uh, well, how would you define discipleship? And I just smiled, you know, yeah, that's a good question, good rhetorical question, you know, because I didn't have one ready. And he said, no, really, like if you had to tell somebody what it means to be a disciple or what discipleship is, what would you say? And I don't like not having an answer to a question, like a trivia question, or, so I became obsessed with this. But I became obsessed with it, I think, for a good reason, so that our students could understand what discipleship is. This ancient idea that a, a rabbi would take his disciples and they would become like him, how does that matter for us in 2017? How does that matter for us in modern-day America? And so since that day, I've read a lot about discipleship, 
And I'm convinced that if real change is going to come to the world, our, the church must understand discipleship and understand it in a way that really changes our lives. It cannot be just an idea. It has to be a truth that changes us from the inside out. And so we're going to look at this story today in Matthew 4, 19 and 20, and that's the whole of the passage that we're going to get through is those two verses. And so if you have a Bible or you have the Bible app and you want to go to uh, Matthew 4, 19, um, that, that's where we're going to be. And so we'll flash back to that pivotal moment, that first invitation we find in Matthew 4. And in those few words, Jesus was really setting in motion a plan in the climactic scene in the story of the redemption of the world. And so to really understand what it means to be a disciple, we have to know the priorities of the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And so first we start with a little bit of background. God's kingdom is breaking through, and Jesus is restoring all things. That is, that's what is happening, and that's what Jesus came to do. In Genesis 1.31, we go back to the very, very beginning of this story. And in the creation story, there is this rhythm of God made something and it was good. God made something, he saw it and it was good. God made something and it was good. And then in Genesis 1:31, after he had created everything, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This rhythm that all lays out this one idea that the, the writer did not want you to misunderstand when God made it, it was good. And when he completed it, it was very good. Things were right in the world. But then sin happened. Then man attempted to be like God. And that first sin, it wasn't about just biting a fruit. It wasn't about just taking a bite of something that you weren't supposed to take a bite of. It was about man's prideful disobedience and their exertion of control. They're saying, I want to be in control of this thing that you've created, God. I want to be exactly like you. Did God really say not to do that? Why do you think you would say that? Well, I don't know. I'm going to take a bite. And since then, things have spiraled way out of control. And you can see that when you turn on the news for 30 seconds, you can see that the world is out of control, overrun with things that are not at all good. Evil, disease, sickness, war, famine. All these things that are outside of what God would say is very good and outside of anything that God did say was good. God and man were in relationship with one another, and then that broke. And since then, things have been falling apart. So then Jesus came to start putting things back together, one human heart at a time. There will be a day when sweeping and radical and unbelievable change comes and God re-exerts himself as ultimate king and judge of the world. But until that time, in the meantime, we're offered an invitation by Jesus to be changed into his likeness and be about this advancing kingdom that God is bringing forward and the restoration of the world. We're invited into that in the meantime. You and me are invited into that in the meantime. That's unbelievable. And that should never just become a, a routine truth that we talk about in church. We are invited, you and me, though we're not qualified and though we've been through stuff in our life and though we have seen some things and no matter what you've gone through since before you got here or what you're going through currently, you and me are invited just the same. 
by God to be about what he's about and to help him as he does his work. I'll never forget uh, the, the day that Cohen was born. It was actually late in the night. Um, but I was, you know, in the room doing what husbands do when a baby's born, uh, nothing but trying to stay busy, you know? <laughs> so uh, like, you're doing great, Emily. I'm just here. Uh, so I slept in a cot last night. That was rough. How are you doing? Uh, but I was just standing there and, uh, the doctor came in at the very end, which I think is a raw deal. Like, I've been here this whole time, and you come in for the last 30 seconds, and everybody high-fives you, gives you, like, you did a good job. I've been here, you know? But um, she came in, and she's like, okay, things are, things are you know, it's happening, which made me nervous, because, uh, again, I'm a control freak, but whatever. And so she's like, things are happening. I need to go get something. And she's talking to me right now, and then she says, keep an eye on things. I'll be right back. And I said, I went, who are you talking to right now? <laughs> you know, like, I didn't go to school for this. You're the expert right now, you know? And so as she left, I set off to do whatever it is I could do to keep an eye on things. I moved my cot even further out of the way, moved some bags around, because that was important right then. But... <laughs> She came back, the doctor came back and delivered the baby. I didn't have to do anything, which is very good because I don't know how to do anything in that regard. But the doctor came back. She did not, the doctor did not need me to deliver the baby. She was inviting me to be more invested in what was happening than I already was. And that simple invitation focused me again on what was going on. And I was more present in the moment. And then the doctor came back in and deliver the baby. And so God, as he does the work that only he can do, as he works to reestablish his full rule and reign and make things very good again, he invites us back into the story. He says, keep an eye on things. And he's not gone, and he doesn't need you to save the world, but he wants you to be invested in what's happening he wants you to dive into the process. And unbelievably, he invites you and me in on the story. And from time to time, we need to refocus on what our role is in this whole story. Because we aren't the saviors, but we do have a, a part to play. And so we keep becoming more and more like Jesus so that we can more effectively live out his mission. And so let's look at that invitation again. If we're to be disciples then we are to follow Jesus. We are to follow Jesus. Matthew 4.19 says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Not invite me in, not take me with you, but follow me. And there's a danger in using language of inviting Jesus into my heart or saying that you asked him into your life. And it's just in that you might forget who's in charge here for a moment. It's not wrong to say that as long as you remember that he's the one who sets the priorities and he's the one who invites you in on his story. We get a chance right now to start living the life we're made to live and it starts with a yes to Jesus as he says, follow me. Let's think about this just for a second. If Phil, who's sitting right here, were to say to me, hey, come over here and follow me. 
and I walked down to him, and I sat down, I wouldn't sit down with any notions of, I'm about to take Phil from his seat and tell him something that I know because you just invited me over. Like, Phil, you just invited me to come over there. I don't know what's going on right now. You've invited me. And very similarly, Jesus says to us, follow me. We don't need to come with our, you know, assumptions of what we think our day should be like. We need to go to Jesus and start asking him what he thinks our day should be like. And we're like, we're following you, Jesus. You ever played follow the leader with a three-year-old? They understand this very well, right? I was playing follow the leader with my nephew, Connor, uh, one time when he was much, much younger, but we were playing follow the leader and he led me outside and he led me into the woods. And I was like, Hey, bud, I don't think we should go into the woods. Like that's not very safe right now. And he's like, I'm the leader. (laughs) Oh, you're right. Game over, you know, (laughs) but the, but we are invited to follow him. We cannot misunderstand that invitation. When Simon and Andrew heard Jesus' call, they were not under the impression that they were going to get to tell Jesus what they wanted to learn. Hey, teach us about this. Hey, teach us about this. Though they did get to answer or ask questions and get them answered, they wanted to just follow Jesus. And they were excited on the opportunity to join a rabbi in what he was doing and follow him they did. Simon, who became Peter, went on to preach and proclaim the kingdom of God, eventually leading to his crucifixion because nothing would stop him from from preaching the gospel. Andrew followed Jesus, and his journey led him from Jerusalem to Greece, where he was bringing such hope of the kingdom of God. But his journey led him to be such a radical that he too was crucified. Both of these men who said yes to Jesus in a moment, spent the rest of their lives realizing the fulfillment of that yes. They became something so radically hope-filled that those who ruled at the time by fear and brutality could only stop them by death. But we sit here today, so we see how effective those who seek to shut the gospel down were. A kingdom is advancing today, and we're offered an invitation to turn the world upside down in the name of Jesus. We are also to be changed by Jesus. After the invitation to follow me, we see in Matthew 4 this next little phrase, that if you allow it, can become very, very pesky in your life. It's like that constant knocking that just reminds you. Because Jesus says, follow me and I will make you. I will transform you. I will make you into something that you could not make yourself into. I will do the work here. He, Jesus, will transform you and me. He will go to work on our lives and reconstruct us into something better than we were before. Not at not eventually. He doesn't start working on us eventually, but immediately he goes to work in our lives. And we see this in the life Uh, of the disciples. To follow Jesus is to resolve to do what he asks and model our lives around what is laid out in scripture. There is this way to live that's laid out for us. We are, of course, free by grace, but we take our cues on how to live from the word of God. And what we get out of it is great adventure 
in, in fullness. We are freed from guilt and shame. We are not free to do as we please. Don't misunderstand that. There's a better way to live that's laid out in, in Scripture. And it's found in following and being obedient to Jesus. Think about this practically again, just for a moment. If I walked out and I stood up here and I said to you, I have been constantly working out and lifting weights to be a, a bodybuilder for the last 20 years, you would look at me and think one of two things. One, you're lying, or two, you're doing it wrong, you know? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> right? I would look different if I'd been doing that for 20 years. Not a lot different, granted, but I would look different. And yet, some people say, and let's just take out some people. Sometimes I say, I've been following Jesus now for the last 10 years of my life with his mission and his word as the top priority of my life, and I'm still so selfish sometimes. I'm still so impatient at times. I still want my way often. Jesus says, I will make you. And there's grace upon grace for the times when you get it wrong, but allow yourself to be transformed by me. Know what scripture says so you know how to live your life. I will make you, and I've told you what I want you to be, and it's found in your word, and sometimes we just let the word sit on our shelf, and we don't ever let it change our lives. He will make us if we let him. It's yes after yes after yes to that invitation of Jesus as he says, follow me, and I will make you. Irenaeus said that the glory of God is man fully alive. Or as Jesus put it in John 10, I've come to give you life and life to the full. Just outside of our control is a life directed by Christ that is free and full and incredible, but it lies just outside of our control and what we've constructed as safe and secure. There's work to be done in this world, and Jesus is inviting you and me in to join him on his redemptive work. There's victory to proclaim, joy to spread, and hope to offer. So can we decide today that we'll follow Jesus? Can we start becoming who we were made to be in the first place? Becoming who we already are in Christ? Can we take our first or our next step in being changed by the gospel? Because finally, if we're to be disciples, we are to commit to the mission of Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What does Jesus make us into? Fishers of men. We will also be on the same rescue mission that he's on. We will also offer the same invitation to others that was offered to us. We will become like him to go and help the world find him. Matthew 4.20 says, at once they left their nets and followed him. At once they left their old lives behind and started living a new life following him. Leave the past behind you and keep pressing on in Christ. Keep getting more and more confident in him every day. Keep putting distance between you and that addiction every day. Keep growing less and less selfish every day and more and more generous every day.
And guess what? You don't have to do it alone, and you shouldn't do it alone. Jesus' first invitation was to a set of brothers. I don't think that was on accident. He invited brothers to follow him. One of the first things he did in his ministry was create a community that would do this thing together. We're called to live in a community of believers challenging one another to become more and more like Christ. It is impossible to get to the full depth of worship of Jesus in isolation. We have to do this together. We must truly unify ourselves around a simple idea, the notion that the things that will solve the problems of our day are not a politician, celebrity, or superstar. The things that will solve the problems of our day will be when a, a community of people passionately seek to bring the restoration of the kingdom of God with them wherever they go. So this past fall, we launched groups again here. And on Wednesday, our small group leaders gathered to tell stories and share encouragement about groups. And it was amazing to hear um, the stories of what was happening in those groups. And one group had a Christmas party where they had 22 people from six families who, who broke bread together. They had this ridiculous long table, and they literally all sat around one table breaking bread and eating and celebrating the birth of Jesus together. And the one thing that unified them was their common pursuit of Jesus. That's the only unifying factor in the group was that together they wanted to sort out the messiness of life. Together they wanted to understand what the gospel meant for them today. And so they sat and they celebrated. Another group leader said, a couple weeks ago, we baptized now the second member of our group. And everyone was there to celebrate. That's what it's about a group of people gathering together, sorting through the lows and celebrating the highs together as we pursue Jesus. And let me clear something up. The goal for us all in this church is not that we get into a group. The goal is that we pursue discipleship. We just think that one of the best ways that that happens is in a small group community. That's not the only way, but it is one of the best ways. And so by the end of this year, we want 300 adults connected in small groups, and we want to have 29 groups of people from MCC who are becoming more and more like Jesus. But to do that, we'll have to surrender again to the God who's inviting us into his story. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful for your invitation. We're thankful that you invite us into your story. We're thankful that you give us a chance at new life. Help us. Give us courage as we seek to become more and more like you. As we follow you, we allow ourselves to be changed by you, and we commit to your mission. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I think that sometimes the problem for me, and I don't know if it's the same problem for you, is that sometimes this invitation doesn't surprise us anymore. We've been around church for so long that it's like, of course Jesus followed me. Of course Jesus asked me to follow him. Of course he did that. But wait a minute. 
Jesus is the God of the universe. He was there at creation. He is the word of creation, the same God who spoke stars into existence and began light itself is coming down to earth, came down to earth, wrapped himself in flesh to give us an opportunity at full life. That should be stunning. That should make us want to fall on our knees and say, everything, God, everything that I have is yours. I can't possibly think of a better invitation into anything than an invitation to join the God of the universe and what he's doing. And hopefully, hopefully by the end of this year, I get to celebrate either my baptism or my best friend's baptism or my parents' baptism because we're all finding new life together. And so I surrender everything, literally everything I have in my life, I'll use it for your good and your glory, and you'll give it all back. I understand that, but I let all of it go, and I pursue you. There is nothing else that I want from my life than to be on the same page as the God of the universe as he restores what is broken, what is disgusting, and what is evil in our world, and he makes it very good again, but it starts with a yes, and that yes is surrender. So you sing with us just in response, and if you're ready, shout these words, (laughs) I surrender to you again, God.